Take care, everyone. Take care. And welcome to chapter nine, a brand new chapter. And we have the lovely Chris and Priyanka with us today. Mike is away for today, but he will be back next time. And we are going to talk about the title first. It's a very intriguing title. And it's called The Blissful Devotee and His Cosmic Romance. And I wondered from you two how you felt when you first read this title, if you can remember, if you had any feelings or anticipations about what this might hold. Um, and also why you think it might be called this. Yeah, Frank. Yeah, I firstly, it's a really, really good title, isn't it? Um, <laughs> it speaks of like really a lot of a lot, a lot of devotion, and also there's the, the Guruji's got a book called The Divine Romance, which um, which you get reminded of when when reading this title. Um, but I, I was a bit um, bit something I haven't yet worked out. Um, is the blissful devotee? Is it Mukunda or is it Master Mahashaya? Um, or is it both? <laughs> because he, he treat, even though he's quite an exalted uh, guru at this time, Master Mahashaya, or a, a saint at the very least, he uh, he himself considers himself quite a you know small, doesn't he? He refers to himself as M, for example. So and his you know a child of divine mother, etc. So. We don't know if it's um, he, he could equally be talking about himself. We don't know. Mm. I have to say, I I felt like when I have read the chapter and thought about the title, I feel like the blissful devotee is Master Mahashai. But then again, it could just be how you relate to the chapter, right? What do you think, Chris? Yeah, it was such a good question, actually. I'm glad, Prank, you, you sort of raised it. Uh, you know, who are, we, who are we talking about? And um, whenever you said it's probably, you know, uh, Master Maasai, it makes sense um, because we've talked about it before. This book is an autobiography of a yogi, and you would mistaken that to be really about Yogananda. And, and this story, this whole chapter is, you know, young Mukunda's in it and as we're going to talk about, there's many revelations, there's realizations, there's probably a lot of, you know, building blocks, you know, for, for him as a teenage teenager at this point, he would have been, um, and uh, the development that he had at this this point in his life. So I think Master Master was very important in his life. Um, and yeah, we, we, get, we get to delve into it. But this is really more about Master Masai, isn't it? This chapter in, in, in some ways and so i think whenever you were highlighting is it about you know yogananda makinda or or master masai i think it's the latter so um i would agree with you there prank it's a yeah, good observation um to be honest whenever i was reading this the first time the previous chapter if we think about it is quite scientific isn't it quite talking about you know the sort of the scientific process and tools and we went into it in some detail in, in the last episodes about actually the the hidden depths of the lessons and spiritual teachings and the wealth and everything that we can pull out of that chapter. And I probably skimmed over them a little bit when I first read it. So we kind of went from that sort of westernized scientific sort of approach in the previous chapter, at least it was perceived that way by me the first time. And then the title is very much different. You know, it's Blissful Devotee and the cosmic romance. It's very romantic, very spiritual, and it sort of tilts away from that sort of Western scientific investigative angle that Yogananda was trying to bring to the table. So, so it's, it's, it's nice how he balances the two. Um, you know, he talks about the scientific uh, outlook, you know, of India and everything, and it brings back to really, you know, what he wants to talk about, which is God and Divine Mother and everything else. So it's a nice... Nice, uh, nice tilt by Yogananda there. Mm, yes. And we open this chapter with Master Mahashai speaking. And he says, I'm going to read it verbatim. Little sir, please be seated. I am talking to my divine mother. 
What a way to open the chapter, really. Um, yeah, brilliant. So personal, isn't it? With, with the words, my, um, you know, obviously it's not just his, but he, you get the sense that he's, he's just, his life is just him and Divine Mother. So it doesn't, doesn't matter like about the rest of the world or whoever's watching or judging him uh, or thinking that he's insane because <laughs> he's like eyes are turned upwards. He's just in pure communion all the time. It's a very personal personal relationship, isn't it? And it's important to have a personal relationship with God. Very. I also found it interesting how he says, I am talking to my divine mother, not with, as if it potentially is a one-sided conversation right now. Um, as we know, perhaps it wasn't <laughs> as we go through the, the chapter. Um, but yes, so then after that, um, Guruji says that he had entered the room in great awe. And I also like to highlight this bit because it seems that Guruji has written this chapter, this introduction in not unchronological order. So I wonder at what point Master Mahashai spoke and why Guruji decided to open it with language rather than description. Um, yes, but we are given an introduction to the appearance of Master Mahashai. And just as a, a nod again, this is not the hearing Mahashai. This is a, a different person for anyone who might be confused. Um, yes, and he said he was dazzled by his appearance. And um, yes, um, I think Priyank, if you would read out the the way that Guruji describes him, please. Yeah, sure. With silky white beard and large lustrous eyes, he seemed an incarnation of purity. This is really beautiful words, isn't it? And he, he mentioned that it, it dazzled him, his appearance. Mm. And like people of, um, of that kind of saintly saintliness, they, and gurus especially, they, they, they do dazzle you. Don't they got this like glow, don't they? This, and not even not, not even necessarily saints or gurus, even like elevated disciples or devotees that you may see around. You can see the, the kind of glow, some people at the center as well. Mm. Yes. And then it was oh yeah, Chris. Yeah, I was just gonna say like the reflection of of God's light, isn't it? The internal stillness and the reflection of that, I think is is almost literal isn't it? When Guruji, some pictures you see of Guruji's face, it looks like it's illuminated, um, doesn't it? It really, in his eyes are just illuminated and everything. So you really see that reflected in, in the great ones. Yeah. And then it says here that um, he has this, uh, Master Mahashai has an upraised chin and he's, he's holding his hands and he's in, in the midst of being devoted and, you know, perhaps praying to his mother. And I'd like to talk about this upraised chin thing because, you know, we, we're taught when we uh, meditate to keep the chin parallel, right? But sometimes I do find naturally that the chin does want to upraise a little. And uh, yeah, I wondered just about this. It's quite curious. Chris, what do you think? Yeah, I suppose I've um thought about myself <clears throat> i think depending on what sort of school of thought or who your guru is they might say one thing or another so i might say tilt your head up because it actually assists the eyes to you know look that way but you know in in srf we're certainly taught to keep the the uh, chin level with the floor um but ultimately i think it's really what helps you relax and keep that posture be as still as possible and keep your eyes between you know the point between your eyebrows um so i personally don't think there's actually that one strict way of doing it it's mm. it's more really you know get that that works for you get that technique that works for you best um and sometimes i think more devotionally i would end up raising my chin up because i'm you know i'm praying i'm you know i'm trying to talk to god and 
I'm really urging, I'm, I'm willing to. Sometimes I, I tend to find that I'm looking up just by virtue of, of striving a little bit. So can't help it. Yeah, agreed, Chris. It also wants, as Lauren said, it wants to raise up because if we're focusing our attention at the Christ Consciousness Center, kind of like you want to go higher and higher and there's a physical tendency to, to go higher and to raise and then to, to raise the, the chin so and the head as well back but uh, obviously Guruji advises us to keep keep it parallel there's only the eyes that should uh, uh, go up because <laughs> otherwise you, there could be a danger of you just continuously like going up and then you strain, strain your back <laughs> strain your neck Probably not helpful for the uh, life energy to flow either, is it? <laughs> but on Master Mahashai, um, Priyank did actually find a really lovely section in, in the book that he recommended last week. Can you remind us of the title of that book again, please, Priyank? Yes, it's called The Gospel of Ramakrishna Paramhansa. And uh, so as you say, Master Mahashai is basically essentially a diary of Master Mahashai, and it's about a thousand pages long. And as, as apparently as soon as he completed it, he he took his he left his body one you know it was it was to the publishers and then he left his body his work on this plane was done. That's amazing, mm. my goodness. So yeah, if you'd like to read more on that, there's there's some more about how Master Mahashai looked and obviously his life. It's very interesting. Yes. I can describe him a little bit more. Actually. Yes, go on. Um, yeah, he so basically he used to just talk about his guru like night and day, and he, he used to be very well versed in all those things. So, but the description that Guruji gives is equally very nice as well. Sweet. Mm, yeah. Um, so then we have the effect of the saint's words upon little Mukunda. So he said, Little sir, please be seated. I'm talking to my divine mother. And Guruji says that it actually produced a very violent effect that his nature had so far experienced. That's a very large reaction, isn't it? And um, probably unexpected. I certainly feel like I didn't expect such a strong uh, response to what he said. Um, but he goes on to explain. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's. it's bit frightening isn't it he says it's a violent mm. he calls it a violent effect so you can imagine him kind of seething uh, you know reeling perhaps uh, and not just like gently as you might be with the, if a master was in your presence but this is he says violently so and i've i've been around um when when people are near their their guru they sometimes have this kind of like venom like effect um, and even when they're meditating and they're not aware of their guru's presence in, in India, for example, if, if someone's meditating, I've seen this, if someone's meditating and the guru just happens to walk past, like behind him, uh, and his eyes are closed, but because the guru's in the approximately, will literally shake, violently shake. So it's a uh, pretty mystical, um, mystical how this happens. Um, and I, I always wonder if it's to do with um, like... Uh, Dharma that we need to burn in terms of uh, the, the impact the guru has on us, like phys physical things that we're working out. For example, if we have that kind of reaction rather than the, you know, the, the, the more natural one that we would expect, which is one of like peace and calmness and, and joy that we're, we're used to when we're, uh, we're, you know, we're meditating. Mm. Yeah. It's, um, it's one of those things that you don't often think about until you read something like this. It makes you introspect, doesn't it? Um, so yeah, Guruji quickly. Goes, there, but he said yeah. he said he also said so far in his life, which is shocking, mm. really, isn't it? Because he's had some pretty phenomenal things that have happened in his life. Not not just the notion of those mystical saints, but he's like a notion of divine mother herself, like when he was younger, and his birth, and as we read in Medita, his birth mother. <laughs> He kind of like, you know, brought her out back. Um, Master Mahasha was involved with that as well. And Lahiri um, Mahashai came to him when he was young, right? When he was picking or taking those fruits from those trees on his way home from school with his brother. So these are quite very, very mystical happenings. But he's saying this specifically 
um, is uh, the most violent impact. Um, and I think uh, as we read the rest of this section, we'll find out why it is so um, violent. But yeah, read on. Oh, Chris. Just to go back actually to the violent shaking and everything. Um, I did think about this um, myself and uh, I didn't just didn't want to jump in because I, th I thought there probably is some well-read person out there that's, that's talked about this in the past. Um, and I found something that really talks about the Kundalini energy um, being either released at a certain time or just really being moved in a certain way by the guru, um, by the guru's presence, even so the Kundalini energy really cleaning any clogged nadis and meridians, and that sort of causes the body to twist and shake in that way and the, the voices I, I you know the shrieking i don't know um but that seems to make sense you know that's really what looks to be happening in many many senses but yeah i'm sorry just to make a comment on what you were talking about there um about yoga or young Bakunda. that really shocked me when i read this he said the indescribable torture of the spirit and he was moaning on the floor um in this instance uh when he was with master Maya, uh I thought to myself, you know, here's someone who's sought out saints and he's, you know, been around saintly people and he's met many people who are sages and in enlightened people, I'm sure. And uh, he's been seeking out his guru, you know, he's been on this mission and here he is, you know, moaning on the floor in, in the presence of Master Maasai. So that for me shows the stature of this liberated saint um which is unrivaled to anybody that he's met so far but that's just my that was my interpretation I thought wow this really must must be because yoganada as mukunda very attuned you know this must be someone who's to be considered very highly highly uh evolved and enlightened mm. and i feel like it, it gives that impression in our brains to think oh well, this must be something very serious indeed and we find out why. And he tells us that, he, you know, he thought the most anguish that he'd experienced was his mother's death, uh, his, his birth mother. But now he has this consciousness that he is separated from his divine mother. And that to him, he says, is, I quote, an indescribable torture of the spirit. And this really made me think, about my own being and life and I think well how how am I in that consciousness like do I feel tortured that I'm that I'm not with my divine mother and I really should feel like that you know um and I think often we get so caught up in this life that you know we forget that we are we're not separated but also we are in a, in a sense um yeah Priyanka. yeah that's a really good point because Guruji tells us to like really yearn and to to love god with all our mm. heart and cry you know cry for him and really call out to him as if he's your own so really like go to like the deepest stages of devotion and longing and this is effectively effectively showing us what that means here, even even as a child and this the this book that Martin Harshaya wrote for his Guru Ram Krishna Paramahansa, I, I really feel that in this chapter is um, we're going to discuss in, in future episodes the the um, the importance Ram Krishna Paramahansa plays on um, on our lineage because there's a lots of lots of links. But I really feel that in this chapter that um, Guruji has really got into the Ram Krishna Paramahansa's like be in the sense like he's manifesting some of his qualities um and i'll explain we'll, we'll, we'll have a chris will read something out a little bit from from the book which will explain how that why i think that but um a lot a lot of uh ram krishna had actually quite a lot of influence on uh Mukunda and uh, in, in his early life and bengal in that region he was you know by far the the most um uh, renowned, renowned spiritual master in in in, in Bengal at the time of his, you know, Guru's, Guru's birth and a couple of decades before that. And as as most of you will know, Ram Krishna Paramahansa is um, 
is uh, Swami Vivekananda's guru. And so Vivekananda and Master Mahasha, they would both um, go to Ramakrishna Paramahansa as their, as, his, as their gurus, and they were brother disciples, really. And so Vivekananda went to the West and came back, whereas Ramakrishna Paramahansa, sorry, Master Mahasha stayed in um, Bengal. But uh, let's, in terms of this uh, yearning, let's hear what Master Mahasha in his book has said about the uh, of um, of Ramakrishna Paramahansa. Chris, if you'd like to read that section of the book, I think uh, it'll be quite nice. As his love for God deepened, he began either to forget or to drop the formalities of worship. Sitting before the image, he would spend hours singing the devotional songs of great devotees of the mother, such as Kamal Kamalakanta, uh, I'm sure Frank, you can pronounce that more significantly than I, and Ram Prasad. Those rhapsodical songs describing the direct vision of God only intensified Sri Ramakrishna's longing. He felt the prangs of a child separated from his mother. Sometimes in agony, he would rub his face against the ground and weep so bitterly, bitterly that people thinking he had lost his earthly mother would sympathize with him in his grief. Sometimes in moments of skepticism, he would cry, art thou true, true mother, or is it all fiction, merely poetry without any reality? If thou dost exist, why do I not see thee? Is religion a mere fantasy and art thou only a figment of man's imagination? Sometimes he would sit on the prayer carpet for two hours like an inert object. He began to behave in an abnormal manner, most of the time unconscious of the world. He almost gave up food and slept and sleep left him altogether. So you can just imagine, so this, this is Ram Krishna Paramahans before he had his um, great notion of, of Kalima, who was the object of his devotion, who was Divine Mother at the time. And then he went a bit further and saw God as the infinite, not not limited to the Divine Mother form. So this is before this is before his notion or before his realization. So you can see the the parallels there that young Mukunda is experiencing because he doesn't see Divine Mother as Master Mahasaya does, and Ramakrishna also went through the same sort of thing with them. Um, with with the divine mother that he was uh, worshiping so these words are just phenomenal aren't they like he's it is is rub his face against the ground and weep so bitterly um you know that people would think that he's insane people did think that he's insane as well at the start but then they realized that the divinity is fully manifesting in him uh, chris it, it really makes me think about you know meaning and i've been watching a tv series and there's a lot of like what does it all mean? It's a, some some sort of um, hospital uh, TV series where you know there's tons of people dying all the time, and it's very dramatic, and everybody's looking for meaning in life. And although traumatic and very real, painful experiences do we all have and you know experience our, ourselves, as Yogananda, young Lakinda experienced with his mother passing, that was the most that was what he compared this moment to. He compared the moment of this anguish of longing for divine mother with his own mother's passing. So although these moments in our lives are painful and, you know, make us question life uh, in many ways, like that's torturous. If we look internally, actually it's just the knock on the door, isn't it? It's just the knock on the door to the higher purpose, which is union with God and, and uh, you know the path or what we're here to achieve, which is self-realization and union with God. So, um, yeah, it's Yogananda sort of telling us, like you know, this in a comparative way, we can take from that. Look internally for the moments of strife in your life because they'll push you towards God instead of pushing pushing you away. Otherwise, we may never we may never seek God. I guess if we were going through life in some way, never challenged. Very wise words, Chris.
very wise. Thank you. Um, so yeah, upon hearing this and feeling this, he, as you said, Chris earlier, he was he, he falls to the floor and he's he's moaning in agony. And then uh, Master Mahashai says, "Little sir, quiet yourself." And he describes him as being sympathetically distressed, which I find. I'm going to use the word interesting again. I do find it interesting because you, I personally wouldn't imagine a saint to be distressed. You know, you imagine saints always being in a state of, of calm and, um, you know, unruffled by life's storms. But it's, it's the sympathy, isn't it? You know, it's that um, connection with everyone as one's own self. And you can feel that other person's pain as your own when you are so um aligned and in union with with spirit right so it's not surprising but it also is at the same time um and then kiriji says that he clutches his feet as the sole raft of my rescue which i just love it reminds me of kiriji and i i think you know how how do we relate in that way to Guruji? Are we clutching to Guruji's feet as a soul raft of our rescue? You know, am I doing that day to day? And it made me introspect actually. And if anyone wants any homework, that could maybe be an introspection question of the week or of the day, actually, we should maybe daily ask. Um, yeah, really, really touching. Yeah, it reminds you also of God's Boatman, the poem. And uh, yeah. you know how Guruji like explains the the yearning and the, the promise that the, the Guru disciple promise never let he will come come back and again and again. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, um, imagine if an outsider had viewed this in some way, they probably thought, "Wow, this kid is unhinged." You know, he's tormented he's crying he's you know he's obviously making a scene he's clutching at the feet I, and maybe this is some artistic play that you know Yoganand is uh, providing for us but it just struck me that you know Yoganand is highly sensitive because he's highly attuned and that could be interpreted maybe one way or, or another but as young children many times they're seen as dramatic and highly you know highly sensitive and then often what do we do is sort of punish them for it and not give that sympathy that sympathetic responses uh you know uh, master Masai has has given him here um you know he, he recognizes that he's in distress because he's actually missing his divine mother so it just made me think like actually how often do we see something and then interpret it in a sort of very sort of cold steel way and sort of shut it shut it down as well um whereas it's a very beautiful moment isn't it and very pure very honest uh moment that yogananda is sharing with this very intimate moment that he's sharing with us um i just thought many you know many how many kids around the world are probably a little, little bit more sensitive and sort of beat it out of them in sort of through the cr cruel reality of life in many ways but yeah mm. i hope if i was there i wouldn't i wouldn't uh I would have reacted as sympathetic as the same. Mm. And then Guruji goes one step further as well, doesn't he? He doesn't just clutch at his feet. He then makes his plea to the master as well. And you know, he asks for his intercession and to ask if um, the Divine Mother holds him in any favour. Which, you know, thinking about it, you know, he's a young boy and... He, it's quite um, gutsy, isn't it, really? But I suppose if you're in that that moment of sheer anguish, you do. You just pour out your whole heart and soul. Um, but it's it says here that, um, the, you know, if having intercession with the divine is not easily bestowed, which I actually didn't know. Um, I'm curious as, as to why. Um Priyank, what are your thoughts? I, uh, um, you know, Mukunda saying that he wants, he essentially wants him to confirm that he's, you know, seen 
he has the grace of divine mother which is what 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 he's saying and if you if you find if he you know if if i find any favor in her sight what what he's saying is the grace so if you consider how much uh, how many spiritual experiences and how many masters he's been around up till now you you'd imagine that if you really mukunda really reflected he doesn't need to um ask again <laughs> but He's so obviously so um, taken aback that Master Mahasha is able to openly communicate with Divine Mother. You know, he doesn't need to like wait for these grand moments in his life um, or revealings of various mystical things that, that have happened I, in Mukunda's life that he can just do it at will. I think that's what he's um, really, no, no, I wouldn't say jealous, but um, he really wants that in, you know, in his own life that he can just connect to Divine Mother at any given moment or in front of anyone or you know in any environment or any any time but uh if um you'd, i think for for I, I just thought that for him to um with all the things that he's experienced in his life to, to be asking that what of us right because we or most of us i'm sure haven't experienced uh, all the things that mukunda had experienced up till this point in his life but we don't um we don't, with this level of yearning, you know, in front of the altar, ask for um, an intercession or ask for Guru's, uh, you know, a sign that you know, Divine Mother's graceful ha grace of hand is on, on us. Do we, we just uh, offer our prayers, but not with this much yearning, usually. It also says a lot about Master Mahashai, doesn't it, that Guruji asked him like you say he's met so many other saints but it's like it was master mahashai that he clearly felt that and saw the the divine connection and um conversation so that's another little nod isn't it to master mahashai's state um but yeah so he asks in the intercession but uh the master stays silent doesn't say anything and and then he goes on to say that he was actually convinced that he was in very intimate conversation with Divine Mother. Oh, Priyank, you're on mute. About the point that you said about divine intercession um, not being one that's easily bestowed, um, oh. you'd imagine that that is because um, devotee, lots of often devotees um, ask for divine intercession um, <laughs> from their guru because they think that obviously the guru's got a direct line and they can manifest anything in their lives be it uh, you know mundane or you know spiritual wholly spiritual as Mukundas is here um so then um it, that that may be the reason why it's not easily bestowed so even though um he could bestow it um, he has to, uh, Master Mahashai, for all, each one of the times that he has this request or that a, a disciple has this request, he has to think, oh, is this, is this really, you know, the best interest of this disciple, you know, um, and hence, hence why there's another, you know, moment of silence here, a uh, silence moment, um, because he's now thinking about uh, what what this means? What what it would mean for Makunda to have received this to receive this intercession? Mm, that's true because it may not actually be in one's best interest to have that intercession at this point in time. Could we liken it to the similarity between those who have a guru and who those who maybe don't? Maybe the idea of having a guru is because your soul has been crying out. To such an extent that God answers that sort of prayer, that inner dialogue, that you know, that uh, demand, that request of the soul to actually be liberated, and He sends the Guru. So then it's you know maybe a similar thing going on here, where okay, well you've got to really kind of knock, you know, knock on that door until it opens. Mm. Mm. It's so touching, isn't it? Yeah, so um, Guruji then goes on to say that um, 
he actually felt humiliated his deep humiliation he says um that he has this realization that you know his eyes can't see what this master can see and um he said that he you know grips his feet shamelessly and um he's you know beseeching him again and again um to grace him and intervene for him you can really imagine it it's really the way it's written even if you if you're listening and you haven't read it before i would go and read it i'm sure you listeners have read it but read again it's it's so um evoking yeah chris um there there's a story later on in the autobiography of yogi when um uh yogananda meets uh, babaji and there's kind of other stories that you know i could refer to where saints are present and they're present amongst crowds and the crowds don't pay them any attention they're not just saints they're divine incarnation they're avatars they're there among you know maybe among us if we're fortunate enough for that physical in our physical presence and it made me think like wow like you could be in a big event or you could you know be walking past saint you could be in the room with the saint who may be communing with divine mother father you know they're actually in conversation with divinity they're exposing divinity you would maybe never notice because you're not attuned yourself so just to go back to what i said again you know he said beyond reach of doubt i was convinced that master Masha was in intimate converse with the universal mother and then he said it was deep humiliation so he realized that here is the saint in communion so how did he realize that because he hasn't kind of thought you know like we've said we've a couple times like not to labor the point but he hasn't actually thought that about anybody else has he so he's truly convinced but yet it is yogananda and makunda that is the one in tune to be able to realize it to really beyond reasonable doubt know it and that's mm-hmm. why he's truly humil- you know humbled in this sense um because he he recognized that but you know obviously he's paramahansa yogananda and you know uh divinity um in our guru himself so um not to state the obvious but you know whenever i'm putting myself into that position would i be in you know beyond reasonable doubt let's say you know would i be humiliated humiliated to the extent that yogananda is i don't know you know i give myself a shot but it's probably an outside chance you know but he's very so much attuned with that's my side in this moment and with God, you know, that he can see it, he knows it. So it's just you know nice. what I love about this book. It just it gets you to introspect, doesn't it? And you you really look at yourself when you read this book. Um, and these true events that, that happened and that we're actually blessed enough to read about. Mm-hmm. Wow, so many lessons everywhere. Um so yes, uh, so Guruji, young Makunda is, you know, clutching his feet, you know, pleading. And then Master Mahashai speaks again. So this is only the third time he has spoken, Master Mahashai, in this time. And he says, I will make your plea to the beloved. And apparently he did a like a slow, compassionate smile as he spoke. I just imagine that. Imagine you're in this absolute pit of despair and anguish. And then someone says, I'm going to speak to Divine Mother. I'm going to give your plea. <laughs> wow. And um, it, they had quite an effect. But before we go on to that, yeah, Chris. Yeah, well, you know, you said um, at the beginning of the podcast, like this indivi- individual, this saint is not to be confused with another which is Lahiri Mahashaya, you know, our mm. guru, our lineage. But how much similarity is there? You know, it just made me think, actually, there's a lot of similarity. Because I don't think he, you know, he was somebody who spoke very plainly, very um, astutely, you know, a few words, um, had a sort of this slow, compassionate smile. And uh, the way that I'm perceiving this, interaction to occur just thought wow there's probably a lot of lot of similarities you know with the hearing my shot but maybe it's actually 
similarities with those who are really in divine attunement and in blissful you know consciousness and sort of in this world and of that world because Lahiri Mashai, you know he, his eyes in that picture beautiful picture we have his eyes are part closed they're kind of slits slants because he's sort of perceiving you know how would you say perceiving god but yet with us or with us and you know he's perceiving us and with god um so that sort of re reminds me actually a lot of Lahiri Mashai when I'm, re when I'm reading this about Master Mashai. You're mute. The fact that the guru can make um, the pledge on your behalf because he's in more in tune with, with God or able to is quite inspiring for us, isn't it? Because it's easier to uh, commune with uh, Yogananda um, than it is with, um, you know, God, uh, God, which is often not something that's tangible, whereas the guru is tangible we can see his image we've heard his voice we've heard him chanting so it's a really good lesson for us that um you know they've got the direct line we've got the direct line but we're just not able to use it but the guruji has direct line so we can use that channel as, as exactly exactly um and we're reminded here also in the book about uh, the duality of life because you know Rakunda's been in such storminess internally and then he gets told that you know he, he'll Mahasha will speak to the divine mother and then he says that you know he was released from this stormy exile um in those powerful few words yeah Priyank um, Mukunda's persistence is quite something, isn't it? <laughs> because he's saying, uh, sir, remember your pledge. And in the previous um, paragraph, he kind of like, you know, he, he, he besought him again and again for this, for this grace. So it's uh, another lesson for us. So we shouldn't, um, if we don't feel the grace within the first prayer of asking, then we should keep, keep asking. Perhaps a million, million times if we need to, and we do pretty much offer uh, something similar in our prayers virtually every day. Yeah, and if you imagine that's like 365 days to a year times two, and then times however many years we are on this path, we we too are also living this uh, teaching, i.e., beseeching him again and again for his intervention, divine intercession. Mm. But I guess also it depends how fervently we're praying, right? If it's a half-hearted mechanical, you know, not so much. But uh, Priyank's raising his hand for all the listeners there. Um, so even then, this makes me introspect, you know, how much fervency am I, do I really have? And, you know, the zest, the zeal can always be leveled up, as I put it in today's language. Um, so, yes. So he's, you know, at his feet and he says that. And um, the Magunda, uh, oh, before, yes, Priyak? Yeah, there's one thing that um, he, he refers to her as the universal mother in this case. Mm. Is that that, um, that Master Masha was in intimate conversation with, you know, with with universal mother and not divine mother um, or Kalima or, you know, other names. Universal mother, I think this I could be mistaken, one of the few times that he refers to her as universal mother as opposed to the divine mother, which would imply that divine and universal are interchangeable interchangeable terms, um, uh, such as like um, practically what that could mean is a mother's love for her child um, is essentially the same love as the divine or the universal mother's love for her children that are us perhaps and that's something that we also have to imbibe and show not just for our children but for um creation and all of all of the souls in creation i'll come back to your point later on when we talk about another subject <laughs> oh to be revealed how curious we all wait eagerly on tenderhooks chris um <laughs> so yeah i actually just now actually reading this on this podcast I, i'm finding a bit of a uh 
kind of a joyous, comical, slightly comical-esque moment, that Mukunda then says to the saint, you know, remember your pledge, <laughs> as if he's going to forget. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he, he, you know, reminds him not to forget. And then um, he said that he'll return soon. <laughs> I don't know if I would say that to a saint personally, but then again, very different, <laughs> very different individuals. It's um, quite quite demanding, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is. We, we, we always thought not to be too demanding because it's rude. <laughs> Apparently you can be when it comes to matters of divinity. It must be yeah. demanding and persistent. Yeah, he's so bubbling with devotion. It's kind of hard to not be anything but right in this in this moment because he's trying to you know <clears throat> knock down the doors of heaven in a sense like you know how, how, can you do that in a in a bad way i don't, I don't know maybe maybe not but he does <clears throat> uh master masha come back to make a comment on uh young mukunda's actions and we're going to cover that in the next part not quite in this part but he does make a comment on this himself because it is it is noted by the saint that Mukunda is being particularly pushy uh, on this subject. Indeed. Um, and then Guruji also says that um, his voice rang, a joyful anticipation rang in my voice, which only a moment ago had been sobbingly choked with sorrow. There's, there's a very drastic shift, isn't there? But again, that's the power of a saint's words right it changes your entire scope of being so yes so then mukunda descends and leaves but before he leaves yes chris so just on just on that yeah i did want to say um we we know the power of the of the word from uh the earlier an earlier chapter where uh mukunda was talking to his sister and he was talking about the boils you know i will have a boil of I think reasonable size, you know, on my arm. And so it sort of came to pass as it were, it manifested and there it was. And, and then his mother sort of took him to one side and sort of said, look, don't do that again. You know, you have to use your words for good, you know, sort of thing. And here we have a saint who, you know, Kunda is in the presence of and is humbled by and, you know, knows, right, this is the real deal. You know, he's really commuting with divine mother. And he says the words, I will make your plea to the beloved. And there's something, and he says it himself, what power in those few words, the power of I will, you know, the using your willpower and directing it toward that. And you've got somebody of that stature saying that it's almost a guarantee, you know, you're going to have, it's like Christmas is coming tomorrow, you know, and it's almost inevitable of, of sorts that yes, this is, this is going to happen. So um, I'm sure, you know, in this moment where he says, sir, remember your pledge, he's probably just elated with, you know, borderline bliss, right? Like, you know, I would, like any sort of small child would be, if they were told, look, you know, your gifts are on the way, this, the greatest gift of your life is just on the way. They'd be like, yeah, you know, jumping up and down joy. It's because of the power of the words coming from, coming from the scene. <laughs> And for anyone listening, Priyank just did a very joyful little jig in his seat. It was wonderful. <laughs> I will go back to YouTube just for this moment where Priyank <laughs> jigged in his... I've never seen Priyank jig. This was, that was wonderful. <laughs> sure you have. <laughs> Down Oxford Street, Lauren, perhaps. Oh yes, maybe. <laughs> crossing the crossing the crossing the road when when you were not supposed to. Win. Haphazardously, <laughs> haphazardously, I must add. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Mukunda then leaves the uh, saint's room and he descends down the stairway and we actually find out where this building is. And curiously, it's 50 Amherst Street. And if it doesn't ring any bells, that's um, where their home used to be, the family home. Bukunda, but it was now the residence of Master Mahashai and um, it was also he describes it as the scene of my mother's death which uh, I'd love to talk with you both um, listeners about this um, about the scene of his mother's death so does this mean I'm not I'm not sure on this does this mean this is where his mother actually died or was this where he saw the vision of his mother? 
probably should have looked back on this before. But yeah, Chris, do you know? So th this is where they they bought this um, residence. It's quite a large, quite a large residence, isn't it? Quite significant um, yes. spot of a place. Um, and they were making the pre preparations for the wedding there. Um, I think that's either where the wedding, you know, I'm sort of out of my depth there already, you know, where the re wedding reception of sorts would, would be. Uh, <laughs> and the mother was there with, you know, with the family essentially, and Yogan, you know, young Mukunda was away with his father, in a, you know, in a separate um, se separate location. So yeah, this is, I believe, where, where the mother took, uh, took ill and died very, very quickly thereafter. Oh, yes, you're right. I've just looked at chapter two and it mm -hmm. says, mother was in Calcutta joyously supervising the wedding preparations. Um, obviously, it didn't give the address at this time, but we can put the two together and, you know, confidently say that she would have been at 50 Amherst Street. So, yes, thank you, Chris. Yeah. Priyank, were you going to say something? Yeah, just, just, just going to say Asiatic cholera. And I was going to say that we'll, um, we'll double check and definitely tell you for next episode. But thank you for doing that in advance, Mark. That's okay. Well, doing it on air at the, <laughs> at the same time. Um, yeah. <laughs> so then we're let in to, again, his inner world. And he tells us, you know, his human heart had been broken for the vanished mother. And here today, my spirit had been as so crucified by the absence of the divine mother. Hallowed walls silent witness of my grievous hurts and final healing. If you think about the, and not to belittle, you know, the death of a loved one, but that's over a course of time. You know, you, you're born, you know, the mother passed very quickly, unfortunately, you know, in Yogananda's, young Mukunda's life and that relationship you know you have and the divine mother was you know uh, manifesting through his mother you know that divine love is as we've heard we hear you know comes through our friends and family so you know it's very very real in divinity in a divine sense but how many incarnations have we had you know time and time again you know longing you know all the strife for god and that build up, I suppose, in some in some ways, just what I'm thinking about now is that he says that he calls it as though crucified. It's very dramatic, very poignant. He's making a point on on this to say it's a you know this excruciating pain, and maybe that's just the precipice you know, of of many incarnations. And obviously, for Yogananda, it's very different. You know, you're talking about a you know a divine being. He's he's achieved realizations in previous lifetimes and he's come here for us um it's a little bit different but um that excruciating pain you know this longing goes beyond all sort of you know human you know relationships and values that um it just is exponentially greater because god knows how many how many incarnations i don't want to think about it myself how many incarnations i've had for this longing to build up mm, yeah it's quite a it's quite a thought, isn't it? Um, yeah. Another thing I also thought about when I was reading this was, ah, oh, how did the family home become to be Master Mahashai's residency? And Priyank is always a couple steps ahead of me. And he, you found it, didn't you, Priyank, in um, the section of the gospel that you've been talking about? So yeah, so apparently he, he was a teacher for the vast majority of his life, a principal, um, and uh, he, he left the last 27 years of his life, he was basically chron uh, writing the book, um, and he bought this, it was called the Morton Institute, um, I believe, um, and it was, as this is a four-storied house, which is Mukunda's um, where, where Makunda lived, especially during the wedding procession. And so he bought it for his for this school. And we're going to talk about the school a bit later. So as, as you say, he was a um he was quite a um quite a, 
a renowned educator who's principal of many schools, but he he didn't stay long at those schools because there's lots of disagreements between him and management about the, um, the style of education and uh, results um, and the importance of pilgrimages and there's, there's various things that happened which meant that he kept moving different schools so he really wanted to establish his own school and this is what he did here. Um, but this, I've got found a quite a cool bit in this because uh, it says that um, he generally occupied a staircase room at the top of it and cooking his own meal and consist which consisted only of milk and rice without variation and attended to all his personal needs himself. So uh, he basically lived lived in the school, worked in the school and lived an exceptionally simple life. Uh, yeah, we'll talk about more about the school a bit later when when Mukund actually mentions it in, in the autobiography. Mm. We've got so much to look forward to, haven't we, in this chapter? And um, yeah, Chris. Now that we're on the, the topic of, of this um, this building, you know, the building 50 Amherst Street, I wondered, you know, just how much amplification the location would have had on young Mukunda, given that he's meeting Mashaya in the location where, you know, he's got these memories, he's got this, I suppose, anchorage of memory into the house of his of his own mother um and the passing of that and that may have been an amplification to open his heart to really you know to feel that anguish to feel that longing for divine mother um you know it's like a breakthrough in a sense you know that um whilst it was terribly heartbreaking you know maybe that's really that sort of push you know toward being in this moment to have the experience that we're going to talk about in the next part of this chapter. Um, it doesn't maybe seem separate to, to my mind, no coincidence. Mm. You actually raise a really good point there. I hadn't thought about that, but yes, it's very cyclical, isn't it? And it's motion mm. and, uh, you know, cycles often repeat themselves until we're ready to let go or overcome and, or, you know, burn the karma and tie the knots. Well, however you say it, and uh, it does feel like that, actually, doesn't it? You know, he's he's then brought to this, as Guruji said, you, you know, all the hurt becomes the healing, and it's in that same place. Yeah, with reference to that hurt and healing, he, he referenced it in two ways. So he said, my human heart was broken for his vanished birth mother, essentially. And then he said, my spirit had been not just hurt, he said crucified. So his human heart essentially broken. Uh, which is like a very emotional, gross kind of uh, feeling um, of, of uh, you know something that's very specific to this incarnation and this relationship that you might establish with a birth mother. But then we have his spirit has been crucified, which is a very you know transcends lifetimes, isn't it? Which is why he's used I think a much stronger word. His spirit was crucified by the absence of divine mother, and hence you know the soul is not progressing um, as, as he would like, and he's calling that a crucif crucifixion, essentially, mm. which is, um, which is uh, quite a way of putting it, isn't it? It's very strong, isn't it? Mm. Um, yeah. But yes, as I um, was saying before as well, we do have so much to look forward to in this chapter, and well, of course the whole book, but yeah, there's so much to dive into. Really looking forward to it, and um, I think now the last the last words of this section are uh, the final healing. So he's going to get healed from these, uh, you know, heartfelt uh, emotions and also spiritual crucifixion. You know, I'm trying to find it in the book where uh, where there is light. Um, great little book. Um, I literally read, I'm trying to find it, uh, where, where it was, this quote, essentially it was saying, you know, if you find yourself feeling agitated by, you know, by the actions of your loved ones, you know, look internally, because in there you'll find uh, truth, you know, as to why, as, as to why you're being agitated. There's many, many lessons in that. And it, you know, to look at your likes and dislikes and then kind of uh, introspect on them, because 
that's a pretty quick way to um to to evolve in in a sense and think about it in this way that there's great hurt in your life uh, why you know why is that great hurt you know it could be a million different reasons but ultimately it's for this reason that the separation from divine mother like is ultimately coming back to that isn't it so yeah i just wanted to share that because i, I read it literally yesterday can't, can't remember we're exactly in the book but it's in there it's in there somewhere wonderful book full of lessons and on that very wisdomous note we will end the episode here for today and join us next week where you find out more what happens next um well, that sounded a bit like a TV show, didn't it? Find out what happens next. Um, mm -hmm. But yes, <laughs> we will. We will explore more and delve into the book. And we very much look forward to it. So thank you so much, Chris and Priyank. And thank you, everyone who listened. And we'll meet next week. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Lauren.